One of my favorite Christmas movies is A Christmas Story. You know the movie, yes? It's the one that's played for 24 hours straight on Christmas. The one about the boy named Ralphie and all that Ralphie wanted for Christmas was a BB gun. Ralphie said, I want an official Red Rider carbine action 200 shot range model air rifle with a compass in the stock and this thing which tells time. It's all Ralphie wanted for Christmas. And what did every adult tell him? You'll shoot your eye out. Everybody was against Ralphie. And it wasn't just the adults in his life that were against Ralphie and his desire to get a Red Rider BB gun. There were other people against Ralphie in his life. If you know the movie, Ralphie, along with his brother Randy and several of their friends throughout the movie, are bullied by these two very mean kids. And here's how the movie describes their first encounter with these two bullies in the alleyway. Ralphie is an adult now. He's the narrator, and he's telling you about this incident. He says this, Scott Farkas, Scott Farkas, what a rotten name. We were trapped. There he stood between us and the alley, Scott Farkas, staring out at us with his yellow eyes. He had yellow eyes. So help me God, yellow eyes. And Grover Dill, Farkas's crummy little toady, mean, rotten, his lips curled over his green teeth. Randy lay there like a slug. It was his only defense. And then Scut grabs one of Ralphie's friends and pulls his arm behind his back and he says to his friend, Say uncle, uncle, louder, louder. The boy cries uncle and then Scut throws him down on the ground and then Ralphie, the narrator, says, In our world, you were either a bully, a toady, or one of the nameless rabble of victims. If you had a big brother growing up, then you experienced this. The age-old tradition of having your arm yanked behind your back and not being guaranteed any relief until you cried, uncle. And if you've lived long enough, then you have experienced this as well. Life has a way of dealing some hard blows. Life is hard. Life in this fallen, broken, sinful world is hard. Life has a way of taking your arm and twisting it behind your back and making you cry uncle. Life has a way of imitating Scut Farkas and Grover Dill. We've all been there. And I've been there a lot lately in my life, and I know some of you have because of some conversations I've had with you. No one gets a pass on suffering. Everyone suffers Or as the alternative rock band R.E.M. captures in their song, everybody hurts. Everyone suffers in this life. Everyone's arm at some point gets yanked behind their back. Everyone suffers and that's why we need to understand this about suffering. God uses suffering to make us cry uncle so that we might cry father. God uses the suffering in your life to make you cry uncle so that you might cry out, Father. 
You may be wondering how I'm getting that from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. So let me explain, because this is exactly what happened in Jesus' life. Jesus endured incredible suffering throughout the course of his entire life so that he might bring us to glory. During the whole course of his life, Jesus cried out, Father, as he suffered. He called on God the Father to strengthen him through the power of the Holy Spirit as he endured incredible suffering. Jesus called out to his Father because the trail that he was blazing was the path of suffering. And that's exactly what we are called to. We are called to follow the same path as Jesus, the path of suffering. And as we saw last week, God the Father is bringing us home to glory, and the path that we take on the way home to glory is the path of suffering, the same path that Jesus took. So look again at Hebrews chapter 2, we'll be in verse 10 again this week. Hear the word of the Lord. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now, I told you last week that we would answer this question today. What does it mean that Jesus was made perfect? What does it mean that Jesus was made perfect through suffering? Well, let me tell you first what it does not mean. It does not mean that Jesus wasn't born perfect. It does not mean that Jesus wasn't perfect and then he somehow became perfect through his sufferings. It does not mean that Jesus was sinful and then he eventually became perfect. It doesn't mean any of those things because all of those things are blasphemy. Jesus was born perfect. He was born without sin, without a sin nature. Yes, he was a human being just like you and me, but he was without sin. And he wasn't merely a human being. He was God too. He is God. He's 100% God. And 100% man and those two natures are united together in one person. So Jesus was born into this world as the perfect God-man, without sin. And he never sinned. So what does it mean that Jesus was perfected through his sufferings? It's an important enough question Because the preacher of Hebrews will mention this again in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. Look over at Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect... He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So the preacher of Hebrews tells us two times that Jesus was made perfect through suffering. So what does it mean that Jesus was made perfect through suffering? If Jesus is the sinless son of God, if he is 100% God, if he is perfect with, and without sin, then what in the world does it mean that he was made perfect? Well, to understand what the preacher of Hebrews is saying here, we need to look at the Greek word that's used there in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, and in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. It's the Greek word teleao. 
And it refers to bringing something to a completion, bringing something to a planned end. It means to complete or to mature. It's part of the same word family that Jesus used in John 19.30 when he cried out from the cross, It is finished. When Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. He meant that he had completed, he had finished everything that God the Father had sent him to do. And so the idea here in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10 means to complete or to finish something. But that does not mean that Jesus was moving or progressing toward perfection in his life because Jesus was already perfect. So Jesus wasn't on a path to finally becoming perfect by the end of his life. He was born perfect. He was born without sin. He was perfect. He never sinned. So what does it mean that Jesus was made perfect? When the preacher of Hebrews says that Jesus was made perfect, he means that Jesus grew spiritually and became spiritually mature to the point that he would be ready to endure the cross. He means that Jesus had to grow up in faith. He had to reach a place in his, fa- in his faith, in his trust in his Father, where he would be ready to go to the cross. Jesus was not moving toward perfection in his life because he was already perfect and without sin, but he was moving toward being ready to go to the cross. In other words, the planned end of Jesus' life was the cross, and he had to endure suffering throughout his entire life in order to get to that one place. The cross would complete the work that he came to do, and all of his suffering was preparing him for that moment. So all of Jesus' life was moving toward that one moment, moving toward the moment when he would finish what God sent him to do. All of his suffering throughout his life was moving him to that one moment where he would bear the curse of the law on our behalf, or he would die in our place and be the recipient of the wrath of God for our sins. And this is why Jesus had to go through so much suffering during the course of his life. Because going to the cross was not a walk in the park. Even for Jesus. It would take Jesus his entire life to prepare to go to the cross. All of his life. That means then that Jesus was not ready to go to the cross at age 12. Or even age 30. Jesus needed to mature to be made complete or made perfect or be readied to lay his life down on the cross. I don't think that 12-year-old pimple-faced Jesus whose voice was changing because of puberty. I don't think 12-year-old pimple-faced Jesus who could eat a whole pizza by himself. I don't think that Jesus was mentally and emotionally capable of going to the cross. I don't think he would even be able to fully comprehend what separation from his father would be like at age 12. So Jesus had to be made perfect, meaning Jesus had to learn. He had to grow through the fires of suffering so that he would be able to face the awful suffering that was awaiting him at Calvary. And this maturity, this completion, this perfection came about as he learned obedience in the fires of suffering. He was made perfect 
through suffering. Here's how Dr. Bruce Ware explains it. The perfection, maturity, or completion accomplished in Jesus then was the strengthening of his character and faith to the point where he would be able to accept fully the will of the Father to go to the cross. His being made perfect is precisely about his growth in faith and his strengthening of character and resolve through his lifetime of testings and sufferings so that he was fully mature and able through prayer and divine enablement to accomplish the work the Father had sent him to do. And as Hebrews 5.9 reminds us, it is only because he was so perfected. It was only through the pathway of this process of maturity of his character and faith that Jesus was able to be the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And this maturing of Jesus in the fires of suffering is exactly what was required to bring many sons to glory. It was fitting that Jesus endure the fires of suffering so that he might be a merciful high priest for us, which is what we'll see at the end of this chapter. This was God's plan for Jesus, and it's God's plan for us too. But this was God's path for Jesus. And that's why Jesus is called the founder of our salvation in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. The Greek word here has the idea of a leader or a, a pioneer. It can even have the nuance of a trailblazer, meaning Jesus is the one who breaks through to new ground for those who follow him. So he is our trailblazer, the one who walked the path to glory before us. And Hebrews 2.10 tells us that that path is a path of suffering. As I've mentioned before, That's one of the themes of the book of Hebrews. Jesus is our leader. He is our pioneer. He's the author, the trailblazer of our salvation. And the path that he journeyed on before us is one of intense suffering where he had to learn and grow along the way to the cross. You see, I think our, our, our tendency is to picture the spiritual life of Jesus as being very static. The evangelical tendency is to picture Jesus as kind of being in this very fixed spiritual state. We think that he never grew spiritually, that he, he never learned anything. We think that because Jesus was the God-man, because he was 100% God, and because he lived a sinless life, then we think he must have just coasted through life with the greatest of ease. Almost as if Jesus' greatest struggle would have just been the fact that he had to wait 33 years to accomplish his father's mission. Like his greatest struggle was to just keep checking his watch and keep checking the calendar as he waited for the day that he would be crucified. Of course, it is true that Jesus never sinned and that he always delighted in and always did the will of his heavenly father. That's true. But that does not mean that Jesus' spiritual life was static. It does not mean that he never grew spiritually. It does not mean that he didn't learn. It doesn't mean that he never grew in his understanding. In fact, quite the opposite is true. You see that when you read Luke's gospel, and he tells us that Jesus grew. In Luke 2.40, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Luke chapter 2, verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So Jesus grew in his understanding of God's word. And Jesus grew in his understanding of God's world. He didn't have a PhD in theology at age three. 
He grew. He increased in knowledge. So his life was not one of static. He actually lived the most dynamic of all spiritual lives precisely because he always delighted to do his Father's will. Jesus' spiritual life was one of radical growth. It was dynamic and not static, and it was far from boring and far from easy. And the preacher of Hebrews wants you to see that Jesus grew in faith and in trust. He wants you to see that Jesus had to grow and be readied for the cross, to become perfect, meaning to be ready to complete the task that God had sent him to accomplish. The preacher of Hebrews wants you to see that it wasn't just a walk in the park for Jesus, that he had to cry out for help and trust his father to supply what he needed to live as the God-man. Look again at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. The preacher of Hebrews is saying here is that just because Jesus was 100% God did not mean that he had it made. He had to cry out for the Holy Spirit's help. He had to fight. Jesus did not believe in let go and let God. His spiritual life was warfare. It was fought hard. He, he cried out to God. He did not just obey automatically. He had to get alone with his Father and cry out even with tears for the power of the Holy Spirit to enable him. And the same is true for us when we experience suffering, when we experience trials. We see Jesus calling out to his Father, and we're called to do the same. And that's because God uses suffering to make us cry, Uncle, so that we might cry, Father. As Jesus suffered, he cried out, to God. Everything that he endured, everything that he suffered was all moving him toward his final test. Everything that Jesus suffered in his life was moving him to that one pivotal moment when he would complete what he came to do. All of his suffering was moving him to that final test of going to the cross for our sins where he would then cry out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And how do the Gospels describe his greatest test? What did it look like for Jesus to resist temptation and to suffer in the Garden of Gethsemane? What does Luke say in his Gospel? We see Jesus crying out to his Father as he came face to face with the reality of the cross in the Garden on that night. In Luke chapter 22, Luke tells us, And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus had to have angels strengthen him. The Son of God had to have angels strengthen him in this moment. He sweat great drops of blood. That's
That's how great his suffering was in that moment in the garden. So this was not a walk in the park for Jesus. This was not easy. This was hard fought. Jesus' obedience was anything but easy. His obedience was anything but automatic. It was very difficult and fought hard by the power of the Holy Spirit as he called on his Father in his suffering. And what prepared Jesus for this moment in the Garden of Gethsemane? What prepared Jesus for this moment when he was so overwhelmed at the thought of the cross that loomed before him that he would actually sweat great drops of blood? What prepared him for this moment? Was it not all of the lighter demands of the Father in the fires of those lighter sufferings? All of the temptations, all of the tests, all of the suffering that Jesus endured throughout his whole life was preparing him for the cross. His sufferings were perfecting him to complete and finish the mission of redeeming a people from every nation, race, tribe, and tongue. So that means then That 12-year-old Jesus in the temple in Luke chapter 2 was not ready to go to the cross. I don't think that 12-year-old Jesus was ready to go to the cross. 12-year-old Jesus was ready at any moment to eat a whole pizza because that's what 12-year-old boys do. And I'm sure he did. But I don't think that 12-year-old Jesus was ready to go to the cross. He needed to endure many more years of suffering before he would be ready And the same can be said of 30-year-old Jesus. I don't think 30-year-old Jesus was ready. He had three more years of suffering to go through until he would be ready to go to the cross. This is exactly what Jesus told his mom at the wedding of Cana in John chapter 2. It says, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Jesus spent his entire life learning and being readied for that hour, the hour of his death. And all of his suffering throughout his life is what made Jesus grow and become stronger until the time when he was ready to finish his work, ready to complete his mission, ready to endure the cross. There came a point in time when Jesus was ready. As Romans 5, 6 says, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. There came a point in time in his life when Jesus was ready to go to the cross, and even then, it came with a great struggle as his experience in the Garden of Gethsemane proves. To quote Bruce Ware again, he says, As remarkable as his obedience was each step along the way, all of these experiences were meant to build his faith and strengthen his character so that he could, in the end, Succeed in fulfilling the will of the Father in choosing to endure the agony of the cross for the remission of our sins. And how was Jesus enabled to go to the cross? It was the years and years and years of crying out to God in prayer as he experienced suffering. Hebrews 5, 7 again. In the days of his flesh... Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Please don't picture Jesus having a quiet, quiet time. 
Okay? Picture him crying out with loud cries and tears. You would not have wanted Jesus as a roommate. I mean, he's perfect and without sin. He always does the dishes, never leaves a wet towel on the floor. But when he got up in the morning to have his quiet time, it was not a quiet, quiet time. Picture him fighting the good fight of faith. Picture him earnestly seeking his father. Picture him suffering and crying out with tears and screaming. And what did he scream? Perhaps it was something like this. Oh, Father, help me. Empower me by the Spirit. I need you. My body is weak. I'm tired. My sufferings are great. The temptations are real. Satan is real. He won't give me any rest. He is always there trying to get me to disobey. Oh, my Father, help. 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 I cannot do this without you. I want to honor you and accomplish the mission you gave me, and I can't do it without you. Let this suffering prepare me. Let this great suffering ready me so that I will be ready to go to the cross. When we look at the suffering of Jesus, when we see his lifetime of suffering, we see a very hard truth to receive, but a very hard truth that will set us free as we suffer. And it's this, God uses suffering to make us cry uncle so that we might cry Father, what you are going through right now, all the pain, all the sorrow, all the late nights tossing and turning in bed, all the skipped meals because you have no appetite, all the weight loss because you skipped the meals because you have no appetite because you're stressed, God uses all of that brokenness, all of that weakness, all of that being overwhelmed to make you cry uncle so that you'll run to him and cry, Father, Father, help, help, I need you. Steve Brown said, pain is not something most people like. That is why we run from it as fast as we can. That is also why we aren't free. Jesus hardly ever goes to those places where we run. When pain comes or when we fear that it will come, don't run away. Run to it and you will find you have run into the arms of Jesus. Then you will laugh and dance in the freedom and the reality of God's sufficiency and the power that becomes awesome in your weakness. When pain and suffering come into your life, when life imitates the bully, Scut Farkas, with his yellow eyes. When life imitates the bully, Grover Dill, with his green teeth in it. Twist your arm behind your back. Run to Jesus because he has been where you are. Look again at verse 10 in Hebrews chapter 2. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. It was fitting for God the Father to allow Jesus, his son, to suffer and to mature until he was ready to go to the cross so that we could be saved. As I have already said, Jesus was not ready to taste death Hebrews 2.9. He was not ready to taste death at age 12. 
He was not ready to bear the sins of his elect even at age 30. Jesus had to go through the fires of suffering in order to be ready to go to the cross. In other words, God did not give his son a pass on suffering. God did not let Jesus just coast through life and then throw his son into the horrors of the crucifixion. He allowed Jesus to suffer and to grow and to mature so that he would be ready at the appointed time. We see this in Galatians chapter 4 as well. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. When Jesus had suffered enough, gone through the perfect amount of testing and maturing and completion, then the fullness of time had come, the right time, and he was ready to go to the cross to taste death for us. I want you to think about how much God the Father loved his son that he allowed him to suffer. Let me say that again. Think about how much God the Father loved his son that he allowed him to suffer. Think about if Jesus had an easy life and just coasted through and then he was thrust into the moments before and during the crucifixion. He would not have been ready in his human nature It would have been too overwhelming for him. It was already almost too much for Jesus after 33 years of being readied and perfected for that moment. What if it all had just been thrust upon him without any kind of preparation? So see here the great love of God in allowing his son to suffer greatly throughout his life so that he could accomplish redemption. What love! Think about how much God the Father loved his son that he allowed him to suffer before the cross. What amazing love that God the Father has for his son in allowing him to endure 33 years of suffering. I know it doesn't sound like it's loving, but it was. Jesus needed to suffer. Jesus had to be made perfect through suffering so that he could bring us to glory. He would not have been ready for the cross had God the Father not allowed him to suffer so much. And then see here what God, love God has for us. Because God allowed Jesus to suffer horribly throughout his life and then ultimately on the cross, then what kind of high priest is Jesus for us? He's a merciful one. We'll see that at the end of this chapter. This is why it was fitting for Jesus to suffer so that when we suffer, we go to him as our great high priest and he is merciful because he has been there and done that. That's why it was fitting for Jesus to suffer so that he could experience what we experience and suffer as we suffer and then be an understanding, compassionate, merciful high priest. Jesus knows what it is like to have to wait in the midst of suffering. Chris Braun said, the problem of suffering is located in the dimension of time, and Scripture's one-word answer is wait. The problem of suffering is located in the dimension of time, and Scripture's one-word answer is wait. That's the hard part about suffering is that it's located in time. And Scripture's one-word answer is always wait. 
And the reason why Jesus had to endure 33 long years of suffering is because his suffering was located in the dimension of time and his father's one-word answer was always, Wait, wait, son. You're not ready. It's not time. Wait. That's why it was fitting for Jesus to suffer so that he could learn to wait because suffering is always and only located in time. So Jesus had to endure much suffering so that he could be a merciful high priest to us when we are in the middle of our suffering. What do we do when we suffer? When life comes along, throws our arm behind our back like Scut Farkas with yellow eyes, and life comes along and throws our arm behind our back like Grover Dill with green teeth. What do we do when we suffer? If you're like me, you have a pity party and you just want it to disappear. God, just make it go away. Put your sovereign. You can do this. Just make it go away, Jesus. What do we do when we suffer? We cry out, bring me to glory, Lord. I just want to be with you, Jesus. Deliver me. Make it all go away. This suffering is too much. This pain is too much. Just take me home to glory. And Jesus says, not yet. Wait. That's how this thing works. I will be with you. And I will help you. I've done this before. I'm the captain of your salvation. I'm the trailblazer. Take my hand and wait. I will never leave you or forsake you. My grace is sufficient. Jesus is the perfect savior for suffering people because he himself was perfected through suffering. Please understand that when Jesus comes alongside you in your pain and suffering, he doesn't do it at a distance. He doesn't keep you at arm's length. He is right next to you. He has been where you are. Jesus does not show up to us with a well-pressed shirt looking all tight, I mean, all tidy and neat. No, when Jesus comes to us in our suffering, he shows up with messed up hair. Like he's been pulling his hair out from being so overwhelmed. Jesus shows up with tears running down his cheeks. Jesus shows up with snot running out of his nose because he's been crying so much. Jesus shows up with a Kleenex in his hand. His eyes are bloodshot from crying so much. That's how Jesus shows up to us in our suffering. Jesus has been where you are right now. He is the perfect one to come alongside you as you suffer because he was perfected through his suffering. And in your suffering, Jesus holds you and he whispers something to you that he learned. He says, God uses suffering to make us cry uncle so that we might cry father. What you are going through right now, all the pain, the relationships that are strained, the stress, you don't know what's going on with your kids, with your family, sickness, all the sorrow, all the late nights where you're tossing and turning in bed, all the skipped meals because you have no appetite, all the weight loss because you skipped the meals because you had no appetite because you're totally stressed out. God uses all of that brokenness. He uses all of that weakness. He uses all of that being overwhelmed to make you cry, Uncle, so that you'll run to him and cry, Father, Father, help help. I need you. 
Herschel York said, if dependence on Christ is the goal, then anything that drives us to him is a gift. If dependence on Christ is the goal, then anything that drives you to Jesus is a gift. Whatever it is that you're going through today can be seen as a gift because it drives you to Jesus. Let it drive you to Jesus. Let it stir your heart to cry out to Jesus. And I think it might be fitting for us to cry out to our Heavenly Father right now, especially as we prepare to eat the Lord's Supper. Because what do the bread and the cup remind us of? The suffering of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are not like you. To be honest, we're wimps. When suffering and pain and sorrow come into our lives, Father, we just want it to go away. I want it to go away. I can't handle it. God, you know that. How many times I've asked you, just take me out of this world. I can't handle the pain and the sorrow anymore. We are not like you. We are not like your son. But we can learn something from your son. And that's to cry out, Father. And so we do that now. We say, Father, forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of the times that we don't trust you, when we toss and turn in bed, when we run from you. We know we should run to you, but we run from you because the pain is too much. We just want to block it out, ignore it. Maybe it'll go away. Forgive us of that, Father. Trusting in 10 million other things besides you. Thank you that Jesus always turned to you in the middle of his suffering. When he was stressed out, when life was too much, he always went to you. And thank you that that is now our story. He takes all of our failure on the cross and he gives us all of his obedience. Thank you for that good news. Forgive us of our sins. And may we receive more and more of your sufficient grace as we eat and drink and remember the suffering of your son. In whose name we pray, amen.